0: I'm going to be the best player, yeah. and we are going to win the Army.
1: Welcome to Sauce Talk. This is Billy Hansen, and I hope everyone's staying safe out there and doing their part to slow the spread of this virus. I'm going to be releasing a podcast soon that feels a little bit more relevant to what's going on. I'm going to be interviewing my meditation teacher here in Colorado um, and talk to him about living well in uncertain times and how meditation and other mindful practices can help with that. So that'll be coming out soon. But in the meantime, it actually, I think it could be helpful to, to listen to content other than the constant coronavirus updates and whatnot. So that's what this episode will be today. So today's episode is going to be an interview with Jarrett Broadbeck. Jarrett's basketball resume is dripping wet, absolutely soaked, borderline unreadable. And as I hold this wet mess of paper in my hands, I will try to make some sense of it here. So Jarrett was a freshman All-American. In his four years at Regis University, he was twice first-team All-ARMAC, twice second-team All-ARMAC. He helped lead Regis to its first 20-win season in 20 years in 2017. And then he helped lead Regis to its first RMAC championship in school history in 2018. And at that tournament, he was named RMAC Tournament MVP. He scored the most points in school history. He made the most three-pointers in school history. And he made the most three-pointers in the history of the conference. And there have been some really, really good players in the conference that have played overseas and even in the NBA. And so in this episode, we walk through his excellent athletic career season by season. And Of all the athletes I've ever played with, Jarrett's mindset most resembles what I've heard and read about from players like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. He is just fiercely competitive, and every time he steps on the court, he wants to be the best player that he can be, and um, he is just an incredibly intense player. And so this episode really is a look at what it's like to be this type of player and this type of person. And Jared has some great things to say about this how it helps him and how it can be kind of a curse at other times. So it was great to dive into these things with Jared. Um, Jared's career, I think, is also a success story of an athlete who found a really good fit and he really made his mark on a university. And I think that his path is one that athletes should try to emulate if they can. And so we talk a lot about the recruiting process, about a lot of the confusion that many athletes have as they're navigating. The recruiting process and trying to find a school and it was really great to get his insights on these topics on the podcast so we recorded this at regis university in person and unfortunately both of us were using hand gestures and bumping the table a little bit and all of that got picked up on the episode so i apologize for a little bit of distorted audio um i think i'm i'm in the market for a a desk that has some kind of like electric shock i think that that will train me and my guests to not touch the table as much Or I just need a better microphone or something. But it does get better throughout the episode, so bear with me in the beginning. Um, And as always, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can share it with whoever you think might like it. You can leave a review wherever you happen to listen to it. Or you can subscribe to my newsletter, which I am still working to put together. But the plan for the newsletter is just to send out a small, bite-sized bit of content every Sunday and the content will be related to some of the topics that i'm exploring here the overlaps between sports and meditation and mental training and anything else that's related to these topics so with that here is jared broadbeck all right i'm here with jared broadbeck jared thank you for doing this yeah All right, so I have a bit of a unique perspective on your playing career. I've been looking forward to this interview a lot. I was, I've, I've experienced the Jarrett Broadbeck phenomenon three dimensions. So I played with you my freshman or my senior season when you were a freshman, and then I coached you for two years and got to see you develop there. And then for your senior season, I was. I had graduated, finished my master's, and I got to watch you as a fan. So I watched your games on stream, and I was in the stands. So I got to see you progress from kind of three different angles, which I think is pretty cool. So I want to run through those four seasons in detail, but let's start with your um, high school playing career briefly. So how did your high school career go?
0: So, yeah, as a a freshman coming in, I was a basketball, baseball player. Um, I was actually a better baseball player than basketball, by far. Mm -hmm. I mean... Not even close. Um, after my freshman year, I played JV basketball and um, I was starting. And I had I heard I had a good chance of starting uh, as a sophomore on the senior, you know, on the varsity team. So I ended up quitting baseball and was a three-year letter starter, you know, at um, the varsity level. Um, sophomore year was just a strict shooter. Mm. Um, junior year, I really had to figure out how to create my own shot. So my percentage did go down, and um, our team success was always gradually going up. But by my senior year, we finally had a really good year. Um, I was learning how to create my own shots coming off screens, learning how to, when you come off a screen, you know, plant that left or right, and then come around and shoot it. Because, um, like, my sophomore year, when you're a strict shooter, you know, it's set shots only yeah and I knew at the next level if I was going to be able to play collegiate basketball, I had to come off a screen and really be able to hit down you know hit a shot that you might be fading a little bit. you're not just set shots, so right. um just trying to gradually get better and um definitely my senior year, I made some noise, and mm-hmm. that's where I probably got recruited the most yeah. junior year was a little bit, but my senior year is when I really got noticed so. I forgot that you played baseball, what position did you play? I was a shortstop and catcher. Okay. Um, catcher for the longest time, my uncle played professional baseball. Okay. Um, by far my best sport, like I said, I just, just it got boring. Um, mm. Basketball was more fast paced for me and baseball was almost
1: too slow, so mm. I ended up just quitting it. Okay. Yeah. And then I want to dive into your recruiting process, but I, I think we should go into your college career first mm-hmm. and then we'll come back to high school recruiting, because I think you have some interesting perspectives on that. Mm-hmm. So let's start with you showed up to Regis in 2015. And I just want to briefly I'll set up this question with a memory I have of you. So after all the preseason work, you know, in the preseason it became clear that you were a very talented player, that you were going to play a lot. But then before our first game, you weren't in the starting lineup. And Dylan and I, my best friend Dylan from college, we remarked on how you made it visibly clear that you were frustrated, that you mm-hmm. weren't a starter. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, at that point, I had never started a game. and that's, I'm yeah. a senior. So I'm wondering, you know, what is this fucking kid talking about? <laughs> like, he, like who, what, what gives him the right to be pissed off that he's not right. starting right away? Yeah. But then it became very apparent quickly that you definitely should have been in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. I, I, I looked it up this morning. In your eighth game... In college, you scored 41 and hit 10 threes, mm-hmm. which is some kind of record. Was that the freshman record, I think? or maybe yeah, it was, yeah, it was some type of freshman conference thing. I don't right, think. freshman yeah. record. Yeah. So scoring 41 points in a college game is absurd, <laughs> and especially for a freshman. And then you ended up becoming second team all armac freshman All-American first team. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to ask is you brought that attitude with you, um, and it seemed to it was kind of like you were elbowing your way into the kind of player that you knew you were. You had a level of self-confidence, of competitive competition that benefited yourself because it put you in a position to succeed, but it also benefited the team because we relied on you to have that swagger and that confidence, and you helped us win a lot of games and kind of turn the program around in your freshman season. So what was it like bringing that attitude into college? Did you have to cultivate that? Was it something that came naturally? Is it a philosophy that you had growing up? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
0: sure. So um, I think I've always had that type of mentality. Um, I, my dad always was smart with me about sports. Like He held me back in kindergarten when I was mm-hmm. five years old because so, he knew I could either graduate at 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. Um, he always made me play up. Like I was always playing with older kids, so I always kind of grew up with that chip on the shoulder that I always had to prove something. Mm. Um, by the time I got to Regis, and you're right, we, I mean Regis had not been very good, and yeah, it's been interesting. But right when Brady stepped foot, I just knew he wanted to flip switch, and so did I. And I knew I had a good chance of coming in and really getting some good playing time as a freshman. Right, and it's funny that you brought up, <laughs> you know, like a freshman, you know, acting all mad because he's not starting. Well, that's just how I've always been. Yeah, um, and like. We can talk about it. Once I step on the court, I I really feel like, no matter who you are, I could really compete with anyone. Yeah. Um, and that's no, you know, disrespect to anyone on our team. That's no disrespect to Coach Brady for his decisions. I mean, that is, It's just who I am, and yeah. it's almost like that MJ Kobe, like where, when you step on, it, you just want to kill. Like, yeah. And that's how I've always. I don't know if I got it from my dad. I think I almost got it from my mom, to be honest. Mm. My dad was more silent when he played. My mom's very fiery and stuff yeah and that's where I get it on the court but just coming in I just want to have the most confidence because you don't have confidence in yourself then who's going to have confidence in you you know you got to have it in yourself first before someone can implement
1: implement that into you oh yeah I totally agree with that and I reflecting on my own path and comparing it to yours I think I could have used a little bit more of that mentality when I came in because my when I first got to Regis I didn't want to step on anyone's toes, right. I didn't want to piss off any of the upperclassmen, I didn't want to offend any of the coaches mm-hmm. and I think that translated into a subtle lack of confidence um, and I kind of fell through the cracks I went from being in the rotation to falling out of the rotation as a freshman which I've spoken on this podcast before mm-hmm. spiraled into some mental issues in the middle of my college career but I think that watching your career progress in that way gave me a new perspective on the importance of having a bit of that taking care of yourself in order to be the type of player that can help the team be more successful. So I thought that was really interesting. And another point
0: on that is, it's good to have that Kobe, MJ, but like what me and Brady had to work on with myself, cause it, that's great and all, but it does hurt you in a sense of you get so competitive with yourself that yeah. if I miss two shots in a row, I'm beating myself up, which yeah. would make me play worse as the game went on. Yeah, which I had to learn. There's, you know, that in between. Maybe if you put me and you together, right, that would have been a really, really good mental stage for that one person because I have a little bit of this, you know, calm down, let's focus here. Where on my side, where let's just go kill. I'm trying. Yeah. Let's go, you know, get a bucket and let's win this game. Yeah. which I think. I had too much of, and maybe you didn't have enough yeah, of I, that. Yeah, you know. So it's a weird sense, and honestly, it just comes to balance. And Brady was great about talking to that with anyone, and that depended on balance. If that was school and basketball, that was balancing, just like what we were talking about, trying to kill mode, or just you need to relax and really focus on what's going on in the present
1: day, like what you talk about of uh, meditating. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Totally. And I think that we'll get to this because I think you found. Some more of that balance as a senior. Mm-hmm. I wasn't around the team, but I saw that in you just right. from a fan's perspective. So, um, so you end up freshman All American as a freshman. We move to your sophomore year, and you have a terrific sophomore year. You're mm-hmm. totally comfortable in the Armac, first team All Armac, which is no small fucking accomplishment. Like there's some Hoopers in the Armac, mm-hmm. and you helped Regis to the first 20 win season in over 20 years. So your career is on the rise. You're mm-hmm. set up to have a you know, it, it seems like there's not that much adversity. Then we go to your junior season. And at that point, every scouting report on you was so ridiculous. Like you had players who were not even watching the game. They were so concerned with you not catching, a ball, catching the pass. Mm-hmm. Teams would sprint at you and run you off the three-point line. They were very physical with you. Mm-hmm. And then compounding with that, we had a super talented team. This is my second year as a coach. I'm a graduate assistant. So we had four Mac players, and then not to mention we had Beastie and Avante, who were both excellent players been, themselves. Yeah, definitely yeah. could have been all-RMAC. Yeah, so very deep, talented team. So there were games where you would get kind of lost because the scouting report was so heavy on you, and we had so many other options to score. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were visibly frustrated for a lot of your junior season, even though from somebody like my perspective – you were putting up great numbers mm-hmm. on a winning team. Do right. you want to talk a little bit about that adversity in your junior season? Yeah. yes. Yeah, just like you said, sophomore season, I came off doing what I wanted to do, you know, yeah.
0: shooting 41% from the three and being that guy that, you know, if you need a bucket, you can give them the ball and yeah. get a bucket. So coming into my junior year, I had really, really high hopes. You know, freshman year, you get this, sophomore year, you're doing this. So now by my junior year, I'm like, well, first team all-armac well what's higher than that well you want to get player of the year you want to do this you want to win the armac yeah most importantly yeah now people like to think especially the way i am because i get so hard on myself that i'm all about individual records that's definitely not true yeah. because you don't get those individual records if you're not winning yeah and that's a big point that people seem to lose in me or other people who are so you know get upset about that themselves no, it's a team sport to begin with, and if you're don't, if you not winning, then no one cares about you. Yeah. And that's that's one thing I think people need to understand, too, is that the guy just gets upset. You can't always think he's all about himself. Yes. And that's one point Brady did seem to get with me, was that I understand that you get so mad, and I understand, but at
1: the end of the day, you really do want to win. And the yeah. winning is by far
0: the most important
1: thing. Well, and you showed that on the defensive end. If you were just right. a stat hunter who wanted individual accolades, right. you wouldn't have played as hard on the defensive end. And you were in foul trouble quite a bit, yeah. which is, if you're really just trying to get yours, you're not gonna be on <laughs> no, the bench right. for foul trouble. Right. But you were very competitive, you get into individual battles with people, talking mm-hmm. shit, right. yeah. you talk shit with the crowds, yeah. you, were, you, were, you were an <laughs> intense player. And yeah. so um, it was just this hyper competitiveness for your, for your own sake and for the team's sake that was yeah. so interesting. But yeah, coming back to
0: like how that junior year went, so now I'm coming into junior year thinking, you know, I got a lot of high hopes for the team, for myself um you know everything around it so yeah we ended up getting Ty McGee as a transfer yeah a uh, great pickup I yeah. mean God, I mean if no one's ever seen Ty play you gotta watch him because he'll jump out of the gym at any given moment um but you're right yeah we had so much firepower that sometimes I felt like I was left out which was never the case we were all winning so it was just a matter of what options were better that game if yeah. Dexter had a you know small guy well, we've got to go to Dexter if Little's going and they can't guard him on the pick and roll you got to give it to him if Ty's yeah. going on the win you know and that's what made our team so great our junior year and I don't think I I don't think I got to appreciate it enough because I was so frustrated with myself yeah but probably mid-season when probably when we went on that 15 game win streak or whatever it was I finally just sat back and said you know what for me you know Let's just go win. I mean, at the end of the day, I was like, I'm not going to look at the stats. I'm not going to look at anything else. And that's when I think my junior really started to turn. Because yeah. that first half was hard. Because you go from, you know, they're looking for you a lot, a lot, a lot, yeah. where it's not like they're not looking for you. We just have more options. So yeah. it was a little different. And you're right. I did get in a hole a little bit my f- first half of the year. But once I figured out, like, we're the top dogs and mm-hmm. we can really do some damage, you know, F all that. You yeah. know, let's I'm I'm all bought in. So... I think that's what was the turning point. My journey, my junior year, was that halfway where I just say, you know, if I go score twenty,
1: if I score five, it doesn't matter because if we're winning, it looks a lot better than us losing. So yeah, yeah. and you, and it was clear as a coach and watching you, and I was always rooting for you because mm-hmm. I liked you so much, and I, I could feel your frustration mm-hmm. during some of the games, and <laughs> right. I was like, oh, I was telling you, like we got to get Jared a shot yeah. here because yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> going up either way. Yeah, so. But then we get to the playoffs and there was no foregone conclusion that we were gonna win the league. There were some really good teams oh, okay. in the league. Fort Lewis had eight or nine really good players. Colorado Mines had great talent and they were really well coached. Adam State had a really good team. Yes. Yeah. So we get to this Armac semifinals mm-hmm. and this is coming off in the Armac quarterfinals. You had a tough night. You had eight points yep. and struggled shooting. Mm-hmm what was your mindset going into the semifinal? Let me just give you the, we'll give the, we'll spoil it. So you mm-hmm. had 26 points, five of nine from three, mm-hmm. hit some really big shots, um, especially in the second half that put us over the edge. Mm-hmm. How, do you remember your mindset going into the, to the semifinals? Did you have a, were you confident? Were you nervous? What, what was it like?
0: It's funny that you bring that up because I actually, so me and my dad have a cool relationship you know, we, we were off and on, but um, he did tell me, because he knew I had a down year, mm-hmm. my junior year, and he just, I remember that night uh, before the semifinals, and we were talking, he was just like, if you win this and you go win MVP, no one's gonna remember what, how crap or how bad you were your first half, and they're only gonna remember is what you did for the school and how you did it. Yeah. So literally, that's the only thing programmed when I stepped on that floor was, I'm gonna be the best player, yeah. And we are gonna win the RMAC. Yeah. And so that's and that's usually how I take the floor, anyways. But since that year was kind of odd, I definitely yeah. could have just been like, well, damn, I already had eight points, you know, like, yeah. I, who knows what's gonna happen? Uh, my dad really put that into me. He was like, if you, you know, you do this, you know, that's what they're gonna remember. That's what yeah. they always remember. Someone who wins. So yeah. that's how I try to come in, and uh, I knew we had the guys to definitely do some damage. And as long as I did my part, I had a great group behind me. So. I had to get my job done, and we ended up doing it. So
1: nice. And then the RMAC Championship was one of the most intense <laughs> games I've ever been a part of. It was and yeah, by far my favorite
0: game of all time.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you had 29 points, five of 11 from three, a really efficient 29, and some big fucking shots down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just carried that confidence. What, what was it like playing in that game at Fort Lewis with so many fans in such a fun environment? It, like I said, coming back to it, it was definitely probably my
0: favorite game I've ever played. The like as many games as I've played playing basketball since I was three years old, that's got to be my favorite. Because yeah. just knowing that it was the first one in school history, yeah. how far we've come since my freshman year, you you know, you were on the team. Yeah. I mean, you saw it. You saw it changing, but you never knew it. I mean, people don't really understand how hard it is to win an RMAC championship <laughs> in the tournament. Yeah. They think D2, they think this. Well, we have 16 teams in the league. Yeah. Eight make it, mm-hmm. and then one is the th- final decision. So yeah. once we got there, I said, oh, wow. But people what people don't realize is that Fort Lewis hadn't won in two years. Or no, hadn't lost in two years. Sorry. Hadn't at lost h
1: hadn't lost a home game in yeah, two in two, two, two years. years. So and we're in a we're in a situation where this team has not lost on their home floor in two years. They had the best record in the regular season and we're in their environment in an RMAC championship game.
0: Yeah. Okay, and right? ranked in the country. Yeah. You know, so but that's what you live for. I mean you you want all of that. You don't want to come in facing the eighth seed. You want the number one seed at yeah. their place. Just how Brady wanted, just how I think all our guys wanted it. Yeah. We wanted to beat the best team and that was the best team in the league. Yeah. And if anyone knows me, I love playing in front of crowds, I love playing <laughs> in front of energy. I think I play better with that. I yeah. play better when I'm pissed off at a certain player on the other team that they've called me out or something. Yeah. Um so I just took that inner Kobe. That's what I really
1: try to do. I I
0: really just try to kill people.
1: Yeah, I love you brought that up, that we all wanted that game. Because we were watching the, after we beat Mines in the semis, we were watching Adam State versus Mm -hmm. Fort Lewis. And even though Adam State would have been, objectively, a better matchup, an easier win for us, probably, Mm -hmm. we would have been favored versus underdogs against Fort Lewis. I felt, and I think most of the players on the team felt that it would have been kind of odd if we were playing out of state with no crowd in the championship. Yeah. It, it almost like it made for a more coherent moment. A Cinderella story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that we were coming in as underdogs in a big crowd. I thought that was such so cool. Um, okay, so we go first at championship in school history. We go to the regional tournament. You have a really solid game in the first round, first regional win, 17 points. And then we play probably the wildest game I've ever been a part of, which is four overtimes. And we just barely lost to a very good team, Um, but you had 34 points and 10 threes. Um, What was it like playing in a regional tournament? And you can expand on any of that that you want. Yeah,
0: Um, yeah,
1: first time. I mean,
0: first time we've ever been to the state tournament. So, or for me, for sure. So. a lot of chills and stuff but after that first game kind of got out of the way you know you kind of get more calm and you get a feel for the court because we're playing on the same court until the sweet 16 yeah so it was good to get a feel for the rims and stuff but coming into that next game we knew we this is probably the most talented team we were going we've played all year yeah i mean they had yeah. dogs on yeah. that team and we still talk about that team Yeah. Um, Deshaun Francis ended up having 40 points. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you name it. They're all D1 fallbacks. Yeah. That's what people forget. Those are all D1 fallbacks that knew how to play with each other. So it just created a great energy for that game. And um, we came out swinging. I think we were up 18 at the half, something like that. Yeah. Um, They fought fought back hard. They were a great team. We knew it was a game of runs, so they were going to come back. And. but yeah, four overtimes. I didn't even know what overtime we were in by the third one, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I played 57 of the 60 minutes. Um, and like Brady said, he didn't even know. Like, yeah. by the time it got to that third, fourth overtime, we were we were so dog-tired that we were just, like he yeah. said, it was almost like a football game. Let's line up and let's hit each other and let's see who's going to come out. And yeah. they ended up coming out, but no disrespect, they played a great game. And we, I think we all played our hardest. I don't think anyone left yeah. anything out on that floor. So. It was a great environment. I wish we would have won. I wish we could have, you know, tried to play. But no, it was a it was a great time and uh great atmosphere too. I mean, the NCAA tournament's like
1: nothing. I mean, you know, you win or you go home. So you gotta yeah. leave it all out there. So Yeah. I remember I I didn't play in that game, but I still <laughs> felt like I had run a marathon or something right. when it was over. I was just <laughs> I was like so fucking drained afterwards. I oh, was yeah. so intense. But yeah, okay. So awesome junior season, some of your accolades, you were Second team all RMAC, which for in your universe is a, is a disappointment, mm-hmm. um, but then you were um, first team all RMAC tournament, first team all regional tournament, now I'm probably forgetting some of your resume there, but it'll be in the intro, mm-hmm. and then I left that year, and I started, and then you went into your senior season, there was Dexter and Tide both left, there was objectively less talent on the team, mm-hmm. but you were still getting similar scouting reports, so there was Less options on the team, but you were hounded just as always, and it seemed like you evolved both your game and your mindset as a senior. And let's start with let's start with um, your mindset, because sure. from my perspective, having watched you and played with you, I could notice I noticed that there was a little bit more balance, and your competitive fire hadn't been dulled at all. But it was it seemed like it was channeled in a mm-hmm. just more consistently positive way as a senior even in tough tough times like you go the first half one for six with four points and you come out to the second half looking the same way you mm-hmm. had this kind of stoicism about you that i think really helped you in your senior season yeah did you consciously change this did this just, did this just come from experience what thoughts do you have on that transition no i definitely think i needed to change
0: yeah um especially because we were a younger team yeah so i felt like i had to take more of a leadership role on mm-hmm. so um that was me just trying to be like, I can't do this because I can't show the young guys because, yeah. you know, Brady knows that's what I do. He might not know if that's in them or, you know, mm-hmm. if they're just doing it because they're pissed off. I didn't want to show that and have them do it and then we have a whole team that's getting <laughs> pissed off, you know. Right. So I was just trying to stay level-headed as much as I could. I obviously got away here and there if it was a big game or if I hit a big-time shot or if I missed a big-time shot, you know. <laughs> um, no, I just try to be there for my guys and just try to stay more level-headed, especially since with the younger guys, if they had questions or if they try to look at you from an example standpoint, I just try to be more... I I think the best word is level-headed, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, I think it helped me, honestly, because, like I said, sometimes when you have that fiery passion and you, that's all you have and you're not as level-headed, it gets away from you and you get out of your... Um, get out of your role almost I think you almost hurt the team sometimes when you get so pissed at yourself and you're not in the huddles really you're almost you know you're in the huddle but your mind's totally out and thinking about how did I miss that shot um I think I was just trying to be there for the guys a little more and really try to lead by example more yeah I think Noah did a great job I think you did a great job I and I had a lot and what me and Elias have actually talked about too is like we came in with probably the best older group you probably could ever come in Mm. i mean you gotta remember we came in we were all brand new besides the seniors that he kept was you dk kevin yeah you know so um i think that helped me too. realizing like it's not just basketball like i always felt like it was just always always basketball like it's Mm -hmm. there's more than basketball on a team because you're trying to help the young guys you have to lead by example um show them the routes like what you can do to help a teammate or how you can help them on the court even. I mean, it's it's huge. And yeah. I learned a lot from you guys. And I think finally, as I got more mature, it was easier
1: to be more level-headed. So Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we'll nerd out on basketball a little bit here. Mm-hmm. This will be kind of niche, but I think it's so interesting because you and I both added the divine shot fake our senior <laughs> season. Um, and I had been bugging you about it just because uh. I noticed how much it helped me as a senior mm-hmm. to not have to shoot over people every time to how much you can create space it gives your game more pace adding that to my game senior year really opened me up in so many ways and it became my favorite move was mm-hmm. the shot fake blow by and then shoot a three right so I wasn't going into the paint and trying to finish oversized. Mm-hmm. rather you know this is what Brady and coach Snyder and coach Kaufman told me rather than get into the lane right. you know shot fake and take a step back if you have to just just launch it so mm-hmm you were much better than me at getting your own shot off and you had much more lift on your shot so you were always able to get it up over size over mm-hmm. defenders but in your senior season you really trusted in your shot fake mm-hmm. and it oh my god did it kill cuz people were f- like it was almost hilarious watching <laughs> multiple people flying at your shot fake and then you'd get wide open three pointers you get to the lane you were better than me at getting to the you know you get to the foul line you open it up for others so how did that what was it like transitioning and using that move so much as a senior season and adding that dimension to your game.
0: Right. Um, No, it was a big aspect to my senior year. Yeah. I give credit to you, Coach Snyder, Coach Brady. Brady probably wanted to kill me from freshman to junior because <laughs> I just wouldn't fucking use it. I mean, I don't. I think I played too fast, and I yeah. that comes back to really slowing everything down, just like how me and you used to talk about it. Snyder yeah. used to talk about it. Practice your shot fake of how you would shoot the basketball. Yes. And a lot of people... When like if anything, like when it's game speed, you're you're almost it's 10 speed, so you're you're moving so so fast, so you feel like your shot fake should be going fast. No. Yeah. No one's gonna sell for a one second shot fake and then you're trying to blow it by. They're gonna stay right in front of you. Yeah and that's what I had a hard time was once I learned that I need to slow down, the game started slowing down. Yeah. So once I started slowing down with my pump fake and that everyone started jumping by and then you get to create for other people um, it just helped my game so so much but i think it just straight up comes down to you just slowing down and mm-hmm. relaxing and taking a couple seconds off and you not being in such a rush yes. when you catch the ball hold it look first like how Brady always said yeah and that even makes you slow down as well because yeah. a lot of people like in a um, when you're tra- when you're trapping in a full court press mm-hmm. people love to speed up and start going well that's not what you want to do you need to slow down figure out have someone come up the middle pass in the middle so I think it just comes back to slowing your game down and it slows the game down for yourself, so.
1: Yeah, and then we all, I witnessed that in you too. It's I remember playing as well, when I first tried to start using that move, it's so counterintuitive because you're, like you said, you're trying to move quickly and you wanna to get to the next move quickly to mm-hmm. try to out, you know, be faster than the person that's guarding you, but there's so much power and grace in slowing down, being more deliberate and trusting in your in your pace and, yeah, it was so cool and to you, see you. Go ahead. And I think you see that a lot in the game
0: now. I mean, you see guys like Luka Doncic, who's not the most yes, um, you know, athletic person in the world. He almost looks like a Larry Bird. But what mm-hmm. do they all do? Great, they get to their spots. Great, mm-hmm. they know a pump fake. Great. Yeah. But they, I feel, when they play, it looks like the game is moving slow motion. Yes. Because they make it slow motion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the sooner a player can understand that, the better their career will be.
1: Yeah, you saw that in Chauncey Billups too. Who, oh yeah seemed like he was always connected to the floor he would he was such a master at creating separation on ball screens without being faster than the defender it's right. really a different kind of beauty to watch. obviously it's great watching like Allen iverson blow past people oh, and yeah, stuff sure. but there's another kind of beauty in the slower more methodical players and
0: i feel like people don't understand that until they actually get older yeah because when you're younger you're watching highlights and Mm -hmm. you're watching the highlights of well you're watching MJ you're watching LeBron you're watching Vince Carter well you're watching the guys are the most athletic people on this planet right and you need to understand that's not you right or you know if that's you then great I mean I wish (laughs) I could have had that I, I knew that was not me yeah and the sooner you realize that I mean your game's just gonna expand so much more
1: yeah could not could not agree more Okay, well, let's go into recruiting. So, in hindsight, it's very clear that you could have played Division One. Mm. Um, what kind of Division One looks did you have out of high school? Sure, I had a so looks wise, I had like UCI, I had
0: uh, Air Force was really, and I had a lot of the Army schools. So like Army, the Navy. Mm. Um, I remember we played a big tournament, had a, uh, I had a pretty good tournament. That's when all these you know low major D ones were calling and Portland and stuff mm. like that. So. Um, it was exciting, you know, all those, you know, because everyone's dream is, you know, go get a D1 scholarship and go play for a D1 school. Um, but, you know, I was, I was like, I always call it like a, between, a tweener. You yeah. know, you're in between, you could probably, you could definitely play at a little major D1. Yeah. And you could definitely play at a D2 and really make some noise. And yeah. I think there's a lot of kids out there that are right in between. So um, that was kind of the recruiting process at a lot of D2s um, looking. But yeah. the thing was it was the offer because I was a senior I didn't come on the radar until later. Yeah. Um it was hard getting offers for me though, which was surprising for me because I was like senior I'm making noise. I'm in Southern Cal Southern California where it breeds athletes, mm-hmm. basketball, you know. Um so it was interesting. I definitely got in some dark spots by my junior year, my early senior year just because I didn't know. Yeah. I was thinking JC route, maybe mm-hmm. And I, I had no idea. So the yeah. recruiting process
1: is really scary and good at the
0: same time. So,
1: yeah, it's surprising to hear that you didn't have more looks, just given how, you know, look. It's always easier to look backward, just how mm-hmm. good you were in college. But, yeah, I, I, when I talk to people about recruiting, and I this this is the I love what you say about being a tweener. It's your example is someone I point to because you could have definitely played division one and been successful. But you would have been more of a catch and shoot guy, yeah. you played good defense, mm-hmm. and you would have been in the rotation and done well. But instead you played division two and you you know broke many school records, mm-hmm. four year starter, mm-hmm. got to really make your mark on a university. And you were at the same school for four years, which is another reason why you made your mark. Right. So I always try to encourage those who are in between to Strongly consider picking the lower level just because you can optimize for location, for the right. coach, for the academics, for every other, all these other variables. And I thought you were a good example of that. What kind of, um, did you get advice from your family or from coaches? Cause a lot of people are trapped in what I like to call the, like the D1 infection mm-hmm. where you're just, you are so concerned with impressing your friends in the local community and the, in the local community members with a D1 scholarship that you get blinded to all the other important variables, specifically a good fit in college. Mm -hmm. So what kind of advice did you get from people around you that helped you make the decision to go D2? Yeah, no, I I had a lot of advice. Uh,
0: Shout out to, you know, my family, my mom, my stepdad, uh, most caring, giving people. But probably the person or two people that I probably talked to the most was probably my grandpa, And my dad, because they both played basketball and they both played collegiate basketball. So Mm -hmm. those were the people that I needed to talk to. Um, So my dad kind of just told me, do you want to be the big fish in a small pond or do you want to be a small fish in a big pond where no one might really know you or you kind of get lost? Yeah. Um, And my big thing was after hearing that, well, if I have to go to school and really study hard and I have to be playing because that's kind of where my sanctuary is where I can kind of just let go and you know lose thought and you're not worried about that math test or you're not stressing about homework or anything like that and it helps when you get to play in the games because you have something to look forward to and like you know it is very very hard to you know wake up early get to practice go to school when you know when the weekends come around you're sitting on the bench and it's real real tough to get through that process and so knowing me who I don't I'm not a big fan of school. I think you need to go to school. Yeah. But I just wasn't a big fan of it. Yeah. I knew I needed to play right away. And so mm-hmm. once I
1: figured that out, I knew the D2 route was probably a better option for me. Yeah, that's. I think that's really insightful. And as I've spoken before in this podcast, I landed in a situation where, um, and I thought you know the D2 was ultimately a good level for me, but I was in a situation early on in my college career where I was out of the playing rotation, I was on the bench, and uh, so many other, it's not, people who are outside of it don't understand how grueling that can be mentally and psychologically because not only are you spending most of your time doing something that you want to hate or that you do hate, mm-hmm. but you feel like a wasted scholarship, you feel mm-hmm. like you're not contributing to your tribe, Right. you still have to put up with all of the academics like you said. Um, and it, it's really a, a dangerous place for a lot of people. I, def, I think you have, when you're in a situation where you're either in a bad program or you're riding the bench or you're in a, just a negative situation as a collegiate athlete, mm-hmm. I think you're at really high risk for things like alcoholism, dropping out, and just kind of a, a, a negative life trajectory as a result. So I think selecting for the health of the program and for your own chance to succeed and contribute should be more important variables than the little hit of status you get from the article that's written about you when you leave high school. Right. And that's difficult to understand when you're 18 because, like you've told me off-air before, all you hear about from the media, from social media, from ESPN, is D1, D1, D1. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, no, because
0: nowadays, especially with you know Instagram and Twitter and everything else, they only post the best players in the country. Yeah. And that's... I think kids who are not the best players in the country, which is 98% of the country, right. um, <laughs> needs to realize that's not you. Yes. And the sooner you realize that, it's just going to help you with your mental health and mm-hmm. help you getting you know choosing the right college for yourself. Now, the recruiting process, I mean, just like you thought, you didn't know how Regis was going to be. No yeah. one knows you. I mean, you only take one visit. Yeah. I mean, there's not much. you You get to look at the court. You get to look at the <laughs> classrooms. You get to eat good. Yeah. And most times you have coaches lying straight to your face. I mean, straight up. Because yeah. that's the only way they're going to get you there. Yeah. And I think when 18-year-olds, and like what you just said, I mean, you came out probably one of the most prolific basketball players from your high school, yeah. easily. So you get a big head, just like anyone. Would when yeah. You're feeded that, and you see yourself in the newspaper every weekend,
1: yeah.
0: and you're the guy, and you're the all-time leading scorer. Well, then you think you should be with the best around the country. Well, and that's not the case. You know,
1: Yeah, I had people from my local community who just... And it's not their fault. They no, just didn't yeah. understand. They saw me breaking records at my high school, and they expected to see me wearing a Duke uniform right. or something. Right. And that got to me. I thought... i There was a period in my high school career where I thought I was going to be in the ACC, right. which is comical, looking right. back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's so much misinformation, like you're saying, that right. if you can... Got it, and I, this is the third time I'm going to say this, but yeah. selecting for other variables like right. health of the program, the fit, exactly. because I don't know if, what you think, but now that I've graduated, it is the friendships, the memories in the locker room, the bus rides that you really value when you when you're all said and done.
0: And right? that's a, And that's a great point because when you're in it, all you think is winning and yeah. get you know getting buckets and um, hanging out with your friends. But no, you're exactly right. When I finally graduated, and I graduated in May, so I just graduated. And you're right, you miss the locker room after practice, you miss the road trips, you miss eating dinner with everyone. Yeah. And that's what you take away. And I think when you're recruiting, you have to really see, is it a family organization or is it mm. we're here for wins and that's it? Yeah. And some programs are like that. I mean, um, you see a lot of those at like, I don't know, I don't wanna say any college, but you do see that at certain colleges yeah. and, but, it is hard I mean how are you supposed to know as an 18 year old kid going to a college that they're lying to you or if they're not lying to you yes so that's I think it's a good point you have to really look at how's the education you know yeah how's how's the coach talking to you how does he talk to you or how does he talk to your mom and your dad when you're there yeah um, I think that's a good way of trying to figure out where you want to
1: go maybe even going a step further like looking at tape of him on the sidelines oh great because the the three-course meal that you get on your visit is going to be different when you're, when you've like screw up a defensive rotation. Right. Like they're not, it's not going to trick you the same way. So, right. stuff like that. I've th- I always thought that asking, because even players on the team, when you ask them, oh, how is it? It's just like a job interview. If you, if the players on the team say, oh, the coach is a prick, don't come here, mm-hmm. that family is going to go directly to the coach and right. say, well, your players are saying this, this, and this. Right. And those players are going to get punished. Right. So, you're going to get a lot of misinformation on your visits. So, I think asking maybe former players. Yeah. Looking at graduation rates, yeah. looking at winning percentage—not that that's everything—but you know, if you're on a team that never wins, it sucks. And so, it's yeah. e- it's yeah. easier to come to practice when you're winning. Yeah, that? yeah, absolutely. For sure.
0: And uh, but yeah, so but I think the social media has hurt people's mental health. Certain kids because, yeah. and then they feel like they just fell off the face of the earth. And I'm talking about the kids who were all everything in high school. Yeah. And then they get to that college and they really get a hit of real life or, you know, that kids are actually as good as you, not just your small city. Yeah. You know, so, um, but I think it's good. I think you just need to shut off some social media or if you like watching that stuff. Like, I love watching good basketball, so I'm not going to turn that stuff off. It's just you got to tell yourself, I'm not him. Yeah. I'm a whole different person. I'm a whole different player and I still have value to a team. Yeah. And I think kids lose that. Like, if I'm not scoring 20, I have no value. Bullshit. I mean nice. I I could tell you one of my favorite players I've ever played with didn't always end up the most stats in the stat sheet and that's Ryan Beastie. I mean I mean yeah. he did lead let's not get I mean he had stats. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. kid was a phenomenal player. Yeah. But he's a guy that his freshman sophomore he wasn't the 20 point leading scorer, but he probably was one of our most important players.
1: Yeah, and he had his own kind of successful career that wasn't predicated on accolades or recognition, but everyone who played with him or coached him understood how important he was. And, yeah, he had just a phenomenal career. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) On that topic, um, one other thing that I think many players struggle with, I definitely struggle with this, and I think you have some interesting thoughts on this, is when you're in high school, especially as a basketball player, you you do a lot on the court if you're a good player. If you're good enough to play in college, you're probably in high school – if you're a guard, let's say, handling the ball, coming off screens, creating your own shot, doing all kinds of different things on the court. But on any given basketball team, there's only room for one, two, maybe three stars who will be able to do those things. And then there are a lot of players who earn their keep, Mm. being more niche, excelling at one thing or two things or three things, Mm. and finding their way to contribute. Do you have any thoughts on how a young player should view this finding a niche dynamic right no um,
0: i think that's a great topic we were talking about it off air as well um like you said in high school if you're the best player you usually have to do a lot of everything Mm -hmm. especially if you don't have d1 guys around you i'm not talking about like the imgs i'm talking about the you know small community kids who are by far their best player and probably the only collegiate player on that team Yeah. So you have to pass, you have to rebound, you have to shoot. You're doing all of that. But once you get to college, everyone's recruited for a certain reason. Yeah. And that's what you kids need to understand. Mm -hmm. When they start getting in that off season, well, work on what you do best at. I mean, sure, you have to work on what you're not great. Like if that's defensive slides, if that's you know defensive help, maybe your handle here and there. But you got to remember, I don't, I shouldn't be working on coming off screens for two hours if I come off screen probably about three times a game yeah i should probably be working on coming around screens getting my feet set and that's what kids don't understand i feel like they want to be this well-rounded player which is great like if mm. you have those skills and you have the athletic ability to do that then god give did you go ahead yeah but if you don't like people like me and you we had to figure out why are we in the game yeah. Well, we're in the game because we can fill it up from three point line. Yeah. And then you got to go play hard defense. You know, like that. Yeah. You got to play really hard. Now we weren't the most gifted defenders. They gotta know what means. But we well, let's, let's be
1: honest. One of us was more gifted than the other <laughs> on defense. All right, don't, well, and I'm still. And don't thing, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> <all right. laughs> but the thing is, is like
0: that's what I feel like. If you're coming out of, high, it's hard coming out of high school with that mindset. But I think after your first year of college, yeah. if you could get that, you're already a step ahead of most athletes yes if you could really just understand after your first year of college of like what's your role and what could be your role for the next three years and you can really work on those aspects instead of everything Mm -hmm. i think that helps you 10 times more because what's the nba i mean like we were talking earlier you have your superstars you probably have two superstars yeah and then what do you have around them you have people that do the best at what they do yes and that one thing Kyle yeah. Corbin, he's a shooter. You think he's freaking coming off ball screens and throwing a no look pass? No. Yeah. You have, a, you know, Hassan Whiteside, offensive yeah. rebounding and putting it in the hole, went down low. You got to know your role, and I think that's what makes a team great. And I think that's yeah. what made our junior year team great because mm. we clicked all at the right time, and we finally all figured out we each had a role, which was a big role. Yeah. And now, if you're not scoring, that doesn't mean you don't have a big role. I mean, Avante Nelms. It yeah. was a point forward for us who was distributing the ball and maybe averaging eight points. Well, dude, yeah, he was a huge part, yeah. a huge part. And that's what, and once kids understand that, and I think coaches could do a better job of maybe letting them know, you know, what you do is bigger than just scoring. It's bigger yeah. than, you know, just handling the rock or whatever it is, you know? So I think after that first year of college, if you can really understand what you do and what you the coach needs you to do to perform well, then that's probably what you need to practice a little more, so.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I really appreciated about Brady is, that was my senior year, that was the first time that I had, he took role (laughs) role declaration very Mm -hmm. seriously. And um, because I had spent my whole life, like you said, trying to do many things. I worked very hard on my ball handling, Mm -hmm. on pull-up jump shots in the lane. I was trying to add a floater to my game. Mm -hmm. And I remember after the first couple scrimmages, my senior, this is the specific, specifically one scrimmage where twice I went, I drove into the key and tried to finish oversize. And I, I think Elijah or DeAndre or both of them mm-hmm. blocked out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also made some shots in that scrimmage. And then after the scrimmage ended, I met with Brady. And he said, hey, like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to drive to the, you don't don't need to get to the rim for us. And that hit, that initially came as kind of an ego hit because I was like, well, you know, I've been working, how many hours have I worked on that drive? I've worked forever. Mm -hmm. But it ultimately turned, and then even further through the midway through the year, he stopped having ball screens set for me. And I was either catch, it was shoot, pass, or pump fake. That was the Mm -hmm. only, my only responsibility when I caught the ball was one of those three things. So um, when simplifying that role for me ultimately led me to have much more success and i think you're right that coaches can help their players by defining roles and helping set up that role declaration specifically and spending time talking about it and setting it up rather than just letting it fall into fall into place now it's a bit of a dichotomy because you don't want to pigeonhole someone in the first few practices who might have the potential to grow into a different role. Right. So there's always some friction where people's roles change and evolve, mm-hmm. but you do want to make clear who are going to be the guys taking, you know, who do we want to have the ball at the end of the game? Who do we want to have be taking the shots? Who takes the ball up on a press? Things like right. that. And I thought that playing in a environment like that where I knew, okay, if I do these three things, if I come in and I bring physical toughness, and a sense of leadership, and I make and I knock down open shots, mm-hmm. I'm going to be on the court. Right. And if I don't do those things, I won't. And mm-hmm. it was so simple for me to sharpen up my own individual workouts of what I should be working on and my attitude on the court. So I think that is really important.
0: And I think you brought up a good point of saying, because that is it, ego hit. When you have yeah. your head coach telling you that's not what you do, yeah. When you and you're right. I mean, if any basketball player knows, you, when you work on stuff, and I... I I take pride in my work ethic. I mean, I think I have. I think one of my work ethic is the reason, like, I became the player I was. Yeah. Um, you do. You're right. It, you get hurt almost by it. When he told me, like, you know, I don't want you driving in. As I was like, well, dude, what have I been working? on this You know, <laughs> like. Um, but no, I I think if you can really just get past that and really focus on, this is what you can help the team with, and it's gonna create success for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's where kids lose it. Yeah. They only think, "Oh, well, I'm just helping the team and I don't get to do what I want to do." Yeah. Well, no. I think he's going to I think your coach is trying to bring out the best in you for the team and not and for you at the end of the yeah. day. I mean, if you are a great shooter, why not shoot
1: it? Yeah, <laughs> and keeping in mind, I the next episode that's going to come out is with Dan Snyder who brings up an interesting point like when he was coaching high school, he told his players, like, the only way that I'm going to be successful is if you guys are successful. So the players can get into this mindset of, you know, you are against your coach. And there's there's going to be some friction with the coaching staff, and I think that's actually healthy, a little bit of that. But ultimately knowing that they want you to be successful because the program, you, you can't win unless the players play well, I think keeping that in mind is good. And so when someone, if the coach comes to you and says, we want you to do this and this and this, and it hurts. It might be for the best, not only for the team, but for your own enjoyment and success individually, right. too. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, you, upon graduating, did a couple tours in China. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. How yeah. was that?
0: Uh, it was super cool. Uh, oh,
1: yeah. I got to go with the uh,
0: Kaufman and Trip, obviously, coaches, yeah. you know, that coached us in yeah. our early ages. And um, it was great. It was really cool seeing the, the game over there. We had a great team, you know, really mm-hmm. talented team yeah um different game out there way more physical um Mm. that's the one thing i noticed like coming off screens they're holding you you know Mm. it's a moving screen out here you know (laughs) but out there it's not um but it was super cool but i think it was good for me because i was in that in between again i've seemed like i've been in between my whole life but um i was in between of going to play overseas or getting a job and Mm. calling it quits with basketball and yeah. As anyone knows, it's probably the hardest thing for an athlete because if you've been playing from three till 22 years old, yeah, I mean, that's really all you've ever known. I mean, yeah. in the off time, what are you doing? You're probably practicing for basketball. So yeah. um, China was good because I just, I kind of knew right then and there, I didn't really want to do it. I didn't like mm. the loneliness of it. I didn't like how people didn't speak your language. It was hard to communicate. Mm. Um, maybe that was just because I was in China and maybe not in like an Italy, Greece type area, Yeah. Um, maybe that would have helped but no, it was a a great experience, I'm glad I got to do it Mm -hmm. Um,
1: but it did show me the route that I wanted to take for my years after basketball so it was good. Yeah, so you decided to hang them up, Mm -hmm. which must have been hard for someone who made the kind of impact of the game that you did. Right. What are some things that you, what are some aspirations post-sports that you Mm -hmm. have, whether that's physically or um, in your career or sure. so what are, what are some of the things you hope to accomplish and maybe some of the stuff you'll take with you from the basketball court into the rest of your life yeah uh, we'll start off that was probably some of the things that you just take is a uh, teamwork
0: is if you start with any company or anything else you're going to be working with other people so Learning how to communicate with others, learning how to, you know, if one person's this way and one person's this way, as we've known on teams, you know, you got a lot of different personalities and you need to learn how to come at them in different situations. And I think that helps you in the business world, not only on the court. So I think I definitely Mm. took that aspect for sure. Um, A leadership role. Mm. I think that helps in business and whatever you go into. Um, Just having, I don't know, I think something I've always taken that's just installed in me is just confidence so nice. if I can have that and have confidence in what I do it'll be all right so
1: nice okay you ready for some rapid fire let's do it all right um Jordan, LeBron or Kobe <laughs> you had to do this one <laughs> um
0: <sighs> people are going to kill me but I I say LeBron okay yeah LeBron's my guy can you justify Dude, that yeah um for me, just growing up, because Kobe and... Well, Kobe, I did get to watch, of course. And it's funny, because people would probably say that's my favorite player, because I mm, take hard shots. I have a crazy personality that he
1: did. I don't I don't think I'm anywhere close of what Kobe you, had. Uh, you emulated but, him when you... Uh, <laughs> I remember one. I remember my senior year, you had a tough night shooting on the road, and we got back to campus at, like, 2 a.m., mm-hmm. and I, I was packed up my stuff. I'm, like, half asleep trying to get back to my car, and I yeah. look over, and jarrett has got the gun out in the gym in the dark, and he's getting yeah. shots up. Yeah, that's very Kobe esque of you. Right. Yeah, and I
0: look, and I'm nowhere near what Kobe was, but I think I my mindset and my mentality probably lean more towards his than a LeBron. Yeah. But you always like what you couldn't do, mm. and I think people would lose that. And watching LeBron and how he can actually do anything and everything on the court, yeah, makes me want to watch him and like him the most. Okay. Which is hard because you know. Kobe would be the guy for me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, hard shots, mentality, everything. Yeah. But I like what I can't have, and that's that's LeBron. I mean, the yeah. physique, the the way he comes off screens, the way he passes is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I wish I could do more stuff like that. I just yeah. couldn't. And so,
1: but yeah, that's why I choose LeBron. It's an interesting point. I I never thought about it like that, but I've always been drawn to players who I didn't play like as well. I love. Luka Doncic, I love Lillard, I love Allen Iverson, yep. I love watching those dynamic and masterful guards, oh. and I like guys like, you know, what, fucking Kyle Korver and oh, Bruce Bowen, but yeah. I they're not, they've never been my favorite players just because right. they stand in the corner right. and hit threes. Yeah, and but, um, All right, you're starting an NBA franchise tomorrow. Which player do you want to build your team around? I'd probably take Luca. Luka. Doncic, um, mm.
0: so young. Yeah, I feel like his game is ageless just because he's not even that. He's not really that athletic already. Yeah. Um. So I think he could stay around in the league for a while. Um. But I think the league in general is just in good hands. <laughs> you yeah. Have so much young talent right now that I could choose from. I mean, Trey Young, Giannis, Luka. Uh, you have uh, Jason Tatum that's coming out of his own D book. Mm. Um,
1: I think there's a lot of great players that you could probably build, but if I had to choose one, I'd probably choose Luca for sure. Mm. If you were to die and be reincarnated as something, what would you want it to be? It's a great question.
0: Hmm. And anything, it could be anything. Plant, animal, <laughs> <laughs> uh, human. Again, <laughs> be a bald eagle, bro. Yeah, I want to be
1: up high and flying, and that'd be sick. I think that would be pretty tight. Yeah. yeah it's a great answer um alright Drake, Kendrick or Cole Drake,
0: Kendrick I heard this on Noah's <laughs> I heard this question on Noah's uh, probably go Kendrick okay. yeah I like Lamar
1: yeah nice yeah um alright top five musical artists right now like a power ranking um ooh okay so Gunna I love Gunna okay um and it's like right now the artist right now yeah not all time just like okay. you can just whoever's you're gonna put on an album today which five guys you're going to or girls all right i'm gonna go gun gonna
0: i'll do Lil uzi he just dropped i love the guy it was, yeah, yeah. i've been listening to that for like the past 24 hours God, some of those songs are like spiritual journeys <laughs> it's so good yeah so that's two um oh i love playboy yeah. Cardi. Uh he gets me going. Yeah. I love his beats. Yeah. Um probably not the best player assist, but <laughs> <laughs> he gets me going. Uh, so that's my third. Um I'm trying to think of some other people I've been listening to. Mm. you want
1: going to leave it at 3. Yeah, I'm going to go with those 3 honestly. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um what is your proudest accomplishment?
0: <sighs> Sports or with anything? Anything. Probably, get, probably
1: getting my degree was probably... Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, Which living person do you most admire? Which living person? Um,
0: honestly, because I, I would choose my family for different aspects, but probably someone that's not within my family who I can't talk to every day mm. is probably LeBron, mm. to be honest. Just the way he goes about his business and how he helps people around... Um, And I like how he, because he has the financials to do that.
1: Mm.
0: And I feel like more people in that, you know, power should be able to do more stuff like that. And I think he does a great job of it. And I think he shows a great leadership and example of how you want your athletes to be. Yeah. Plain and simple. I think another one for me was Derek Jeter. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, Yeah. The captain. Yeah. I just love how they go around their business. And like I said, you like people who you're not. Like me, I don't think I could be that calm. And I yeah. wish I could be. Right. Um, I definitely have more of if I lose, don't talk to me, and I don't want to talk to no <laughs> reporters, and fuck you. So um, I think I would, rather, I would want to be more like LeBron and Derek Jeter of those guys, you mm. know, who show love no matter what's going on and um, always have respect for people who, no matter if they're an NBA player or just uh, another person I'm, you know, cheering for them. or a kid, so.
1: Nice. Yeah. Uh, where would you most like to live?
0: Oh, uh, definitely. I mean, SoCal. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I could leave that spot. I mean, I'm here now, mm-hmm. um, but that's definitely the spot I want to end up. Nice. Um, I've been privileged. Probably it's a little too much with the <laughs> SoCal and the beaches and the weather. And yeah. It was a good switch up coming
1: to Denver, but yeah, probably SoCal. Nice. All right, last one. Mm-hmm. Um, what aspect do you – or like what character trait do you most admire in an athlete or a coach?
0: It's a good question, honestly. Um, I think work ethic. Yeah. I think that's the biggest one, because if you can't be a self-made player, you're just going to be very average, and if your coach is not putting in the work, then he doesn't believe in his team or himself, so Yeah. I think you got to put in the work, and then I think all that stuff comes behind it, like the leadership and other stuff, and that's a great thing about a team and everything else, because everyone brings in their own Probably their own character traits that help the team win, to yeah. be honest. so. But, yeah, I'd I take work ethic, honestly. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right, man. Well, what a great honor it is to have you on the podcast. Really excited to put this out. Um, where can people find you? Should I just link to your social media accounts? Yeah, then, social yeah. media is good. and. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Well, hopefully we can do this again sometime. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, thanks for having you. me. Hey, Sauce Talk, number one podcast, <laughs> out now. <laughs> <laughs>